As a show that is primarily focused on geopolitical history, we at the myth of the 20th century have not touched on the subject of women as much as others. But given the importance of women to all societies, and especially those facing declining birth rates, existential ennui, and many other social ills seemingly common throughout the developed world, we thought it appropriate to discuss the topic of women in the workplace. Joined by fellow podcaster from MGTOW Chats and American Sun author Lamprey Milt, we delve into the recent girl-boss phenomenon, as well as unfolding developments in the broader office space world as work-from-home and interest rate spikes potentially plunge the commercial real estate market into another financial crisis. I did not trade arms for hostages. It's Hello and welcome to the myth of the 20th century. We're trying to do these a little bit more frequently uh, since as of late. So tonight I have a very special guest. Uh, he goes by the name of Lamprey Milt. He's also been on the American Sun, so check that out. He also has his own channel. Uh, MGTOW Chats on YouTube and BitChute. I still don't know how he's still on YouTube after all the content crackdowns there. I think we've been off of it for four years almost, thereabouts, maybe more. But um, anyway, uh, Lamprey uh, is a good guy. He's had me on his show a couple times. We were trying to figure out what exactly the uh, the focus of tonight's topic was going to be. We've spoken before on his show about real estate. Uh, I went on to talk about his book, but really what their kind of whole thing is, is the Manosphere stuff. Uh, you can probably guess from the title of the show, but uh, Lamprey's a good guy. Uh, I consider him a, a friend and uh, I'm happy to have him on our show for the first time. So welcome Lamprey. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm a been following you since 2018 and you and your your co-host um big inspiration of mine i know i wouldn't have been doing uh my guess, live streams podcast for as long as i have it wasn't for for you guys so i appreciate you having me on it's an absolute pleasure yeah yeah you're you're a smart guy you're, you're you got some interesting uh life experience um and then uh if we have time, we'll get to our typical uh, Ballywick of the myth of the 20th century, pontificating <laughs> about things that didn't happen to us. But let's talk about the stuff that uh, maybe you've experienced that is worth noting. I think part of the reason you got got into your podcast was you had this crazy experience in Southeast Asia, living abroad. Uh, you were dating like a, a stripper or hooker or something. It, it was really crazy. <laughs> but uh, why, why don't you bring us up to speed on on that and then tell us about your show? Well, uh, uh, how I originally got into this was, um, oh, I was on Stefan Molyneux maybe seven or eight right. years ago. I think it was like 2014. <laughs> and the video went viral. And I was being a little hyper, uh, hyperbolic in my description of Southeast Asia um, and dating, you know, 
uh, I guess you can say it was a bar girl. Um, she was a bar girl, not when I was dating her, but she was once a bar girl. Um, and uh, that wasn't necessarily the topic I want to discuss with Stefan Molyneux. I want to discuss a little bit of the differences between, you know, Asian women and Western women. Yeah. But he just wanted to hawk on the fact that, you know, my girlfriend at the time was a bar girl or, again, the former bar girl. And a lot of people listened to it and a few people from, I don't know, like various like PUAs and other uh, other um, podcasters were trying to figure out who I was and were trying to get in touch with me. And one thing led to another. I uh, did a chat with this uh, this MGTOW guy. And from there, I met uh, this individual known as I Am Serious, who is yep. my co-host. Yeah. And... We hit it off. Um, he wanted to keep doing live streams with me, but not, not a popular channel. He was once popular uh, in the Manosphere, maybe about 10 or 12 years ago. And we got up to like a million views on YouTube. Our channel got taken down, and that was during COVID. And when that had happened, he kind of was like, you know what, I'm kind of overdoing these shows. Um, and then I got in touch with uh, your, some of your buddies over at the American Sun I started writing, uh, writing for the American Sun. People seem to have liked my writing about various topics, real estate, women, um, uh, energy. Uh, I think my last article was on Syria. And, um, you know, that was that was pretty cool. Um, and uh, now I'm kind of like taking a little bit of a backseat, you know, because there's only so much you can really discuss yeah. uh, uh, when it comes to politics and the state of the world because there's really no solution. Uh, it's kind of like... Like what's the point of really talking about, you know, feral basketball Americans beating up on some soy boy? Like it's just it's been there, done that. It's it's negative. Yeah. Um, it's you know, very um I guess nihilistic and it's just it's just not good to be stuck in these echo chambers. But um my show, MGTOW Chats, it isn't necessarily always about um hypergamy and red pilling and black pill. Uh, I kind of steered the direction of the live streams of having really cool guests on, such as yourself, Donald Jeffries, E. Michael Jones has been on, um, Tom Kwasinski, who's another great author. He's a brilliant speaker, that guy. I mean, I think he's um, he, he's almost like almost to the point of style being over substance, but there's a lot of substance too. But he's he's like so good at it like it's it's like he he doesn't ever takes a break and so it's kind of hard to like figure <laughs> he's, out what's a bit of a spurg but yeah it's like what's I the table no of contents doubt. here brother like you know let's break it down but um yeah he can just speak at length without interruption it's pretty amazing he, he actually w was running for office at one point i think which was un unreal given how how much optimism we all had in the political system back in the day and i guess i'd put myself closer to that camp than i am now obviously but um, yeah, he's, he's had some interesting experience as well. Um, yeah, Tom's a great mind. He, he's been on the show. I'm trying to think some other cool guests I've had on. Oh, um, I've, um, I've done a lot of work with Sandman, who's a very right. popular, uh, MGTOW content What's provider. he up to Probably these days? Has, has he gotten like the, um, the clear pill or like what's the next phase after the red pill? Because I don't know how many red pills you can consume before you, uh, I don't know, you turn into a cherry. I mean... There's, there's got to be, he's, how long has he been doing it? I, I remember him like being on, um, or on YouTube around the same time as Stefan Molyneux when he was big and that that's like coming up on 10 years almost. So is he still kind of yeah, the same he, format and like just doing the same thing? 
got the video, still like the pictures with like still pictures. <laughs> I haven't seen the stuff. Yeah, he's in, still in years. doing the same thing. Um, yeah. he, he, um, I haven't spoken to him in a, in a few months. Um, he, 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 when he comes on my show, we talk about other topics other than, you know, again, red pilling the normies or yeah. talking about guys not getting married. He, he well, he's a smart guy. Good. I mean, he doesn't he have like a bunch of businesses and like he makes a fair amount of money. And so obviously he's, he's branched, you know, into like just personal improvement and, and success, which I think is the right step to take. But uh, tell me if I'm wrong about that. No, you're, 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 you've definitely hit the, hit the nail on the head. Um, yeah. I did some work with him on a subscribe star about a year and a half ago. He works really hard, mm. um, when it comes to pumping out content. So yeah. like when he does like a 10, 15 minute video, it's actually more like an hour and a half of prepping. Oh, so he was trying to coach me. Th- he was trying to coach me through it. Like, you know, retake, retake, retake. I'm like, dude, I can't, I can't do this, man. It was like, as much as I love, you know, uh, being a part of your, your platform and, uh, being behind a paywall with you. It's mm-hmm. like, this is, this is consuming way too much of my time. And I, I don't do it for the money, man. I just love, you know, gaining knowledge, reading books, having interest, interesting guests on such as yourself. Uh, just trying to think of some other guests. A turd flinging yeah. monkey's been on sh- like at least a dozen times. <laughs> I just can't get show. over that name, but uh, the uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I remember show. that guy from the same like YouTube era when Molyneux and et al were around. Um, kind of put them in the same kind of rough categories of uh, the red pill, I guess. When it, you know, back in the day, whatever they called it back then. But I, I do remember you had on a. Whether he was Russian by by birth or just like a, an expert of like the Russian history, you had a guy come on, and I think it may have actually been focused on on Syria. But I think he, or he ta- he was intimating that he was going to talk about Syria because as obviously you you also have an interest in that. But you were talking about the Ukraine Russia thing, I think, and that guy was very 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 on point, and he he knew what he was talking about because he could read Russian, and you know that that I don't know if you recall who I'm talking about, but I recall a very good discussion on that on that topic. That that happened to be a, an individual known as Inselmatics, if you can believe it or not. Oh, these um, names! What are we going to do with this? <laughs> How do you get a date if you call yourself an incel? I mean, I just I, I don't understand the logic of that. But he's a very bright guy. I mean, not not disputing that. It's just it's funny to me. Well, I, I, I use the word MGTOW as – it's more of like – how do I put it? Um, so for anybody a, who doesn't know what that means, it means men going their own way. It's just like goofy internet acronym, but that, that's what it is. Yeah, it's kind of like the Boy Scouts just without without all the girls in it. That's what MGTOW <laughs> is to me. You mean the new Boy Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's what MGTOW uh, – that, that's what it means to me. I'm not necessarily MGTOW. Um you know, I don't really fall. I mean, me personally, I don't fall into any of those type of categories. Oh, you, you it's just have, a generally you have, you safe have relationships acronym. with women, and you know, you've talked about them on your show. You know, more than once. Yeah, hundred percent, so. man. Uh, look, I, uh, it, it's it, it's it's got a good. Uh, I mean, the the, the general like uh, people that consume MGTOW content tend to be fairly optimistic, upbeat. Um, really, you know, I kind of like the community the as a whole. That's interesting. 
what being optimistic yeah i mean i just generally like at least if you read the comments and listen to people call into like shows like molyneux like yourself i mean well you were doing it maybe just for fun but some of these guys yeah. like they had these horror stories and, and it just generally seems well they the, the joke i heard a couple of years ago about the manosphere quote unquote it had turned into the monosphere because everybody was moaning about you know how yeah. how crummy things were so i i took sort of the opposite of observation of that most people are kind of down down downward looking pessimistic as opposed to optimistic um yeah you know what it is it's kind of like kind of like i want to say it's more like a subculture or like a, it's an internet punk scene <laughs> that would be my best uh best way to describe yeah, it yeah with, without all the hot chicks <laughs> uh, at least i'm speaking on behalf of my listeners my listeners seem to be really cool they they have a yeah, good yeah, sense of humor they're, they're, they're pretty the good. World as you have whole. good guests yeah and i don't know about your listeners but the guests are good yeah yeah so you know you've seen some of the guests i've had on and again it's not necessarily like obviously the meat of uh the bulk of my my body of work if you want to call it that has been the dichotomy between men and women but we've done shows on california we've done shows on vietnam we've done shows yeah. on the economy economy mm -hmm. gdp yeah. uh we've had a lot of a lot of conversations on real estate that seems to be more or less what uh outside of discussing female and male relationships in the united states the other topic of conversation that i happen to know quite a bit about is yeah. real estate um, you know, what's going on with the internet, current events, uh, yeah. uh, obviously what we just said, a war, war in Ukraine. So I, I try to branch out to various topics and not try to get uh, pigeonholed yeah. uh, into being just your typical Manosphere content creator. Um, and it, it, like I said, it's been fun. But look, I mean, look, it's 2023. Uh I know you're not necessarily not necessarily putting out nearly as much content as you used to, and it, look, it gets boring after a while. You have yeah. to live your life, man. Like this is not something you're gonna be on your deathbed thinking about. Like, oh yeah, I really red pilled the normies when I was talking about fucking trannies or some shit. Like it's just well, it's, it, it's stupid after a while. For, for for me, it doesn't necessarily uh, preclude future content, but. To, to fixate on one topic is never something I'd, I'd, I've wanted to do. And we, I think we're, um, I don't know if wise is the right word, but we, we had enough um, fortune in, in sort of modeling uh, the, the title of our show, at least, around a fairly broad set of, of ideas and, and concepts. Yeah. And obviously the name of our show is Myth of the 20th Century. And, and we've obviously skipped skipped over the 20th century into the 21st more than more than, more than a few times. Because uh, I don't know how you, you can't. Uh, everything's kind of blended together in the real world. But the, um, the, the reason, you know, I, uh, I want to keep this up is if there is something worth talking about, I want to talk about it in a format where I feel like I can actually speak my mind. And unfortunately, in yeah. the Western world, you can't. So I think there's going to be a need for that. Now, I think there was a special time, you know, 2015, et cetera, plus, where the, the Trump campaign sort of sparked a lot of like people to think that they could speak more freely. And so that created kind of this uh, thousand flowers bloom, but unfortunately, you know, winter came and, uh, <laughs> the Democrats struck back. And so the, the internet has been shutting everything down and that's actually discouraged a lot of, I think, very bright and talented people from, from sticking with this. And I think that's kind of cast a little bit of, um, 
a dark shadow over the thing. And, you know, to your point, I think some of the content has, has kind of been played out. And, and so if that's the case, I agree with you. You know, we don't need to repeat ourselves. I mean, it's all recorded. You just listen to it. But if there is something worth talking about, I do want to continue this format. Now, the pace of it, you know, maybe it's a little bit less, but I think it's, it's context dependent on, on the environment and the situation. And so, you know, as a sort of a, on a personal note, I, I personally would, would like to increase our pace a little bit, maybe not back to where we were, you know, when we first started like once a week, which was a lot of work, but yeah. I think, I think we'll, we'll, we'll keep it going and, and, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I want my co-host, uh, to, to guide this as well, but, um, you know, they, they've been busy. And so I'm just trying to get uh, as many, uh, many friends of the show to collaborate with uh, as much as possible and, and keep it, keep it going if possible. Cause I think there is still people that get value out of it. And I think that to me, that's also uh, a value, but anyway, enough about, uh, our, our shows and, uh, you know, navel gazing. Well, it's like, pulling, um, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit like pulling teeth uh, to get, uh, someone on board for a specific topic um you know my my co-host he was he was all on board to you know at least for the first two years um was really psyched about reading uh books about a specific topic reading articles you know sending messages back and forth like oh check this out what do you think of this and you know obviously just brainstorming some ideas and I think COVID just really just sucked the fucking air out of the room for so much of the stuff. And then shortly thereafter, I guess from people being, um, you know, home, you know, kind of like stuck home and, uh, you know, probably laid off working from home, having a lot of free time, you know, getting lost in their own minds on various subjects and getting lost in getting lost down deep rabbit holes. There was just all this explosion of just really just banal, um, uh, you know, uh, banal podcasters and, you know, dry bloggers that are like, yeah, yeah, I know that already. Yes. Where were you, you know, 15, 20 years ago? I know that already. Okay. Do you have anything new to bring to the table? This reminds me. That's one reason why I always found your show, your podcast to be, quite fascinating because some of some of your uh, uploads were fantastic uh, some of the guests you've had on um uh, really just you know just blew my mind away um the J, J, uh, lafon james lafon really cool guest that you've had on and, and and like you said i think i've scaled it back to about uh maybe like once a month now and again like i've said all i could um now i have to you know i guess um uh, adjust fire, start reading other topics, reading other books, and things that I find fascinating. For me, I really want to d- uh, dive more into, uh, you know, uh, military history, and um, I'm just like, uh, probably mostly just military history, because I, I find that to be the most fascinating. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that that's basically uh, my show from a bird's eye view. Um, you guys can definitely check out The American Sun. I haven't done a uh, – I haven't written since last September, but probably going to 2024, I'll be pumping out new content. Um, obviously, the meat of our conversation is uh, we'll, we'll be discussing a little bit about the whole situation with uh, male and female uh, um issues if you want to say say it in such a way uh, i don't think uh, you've uh, necessarily discussed too much about that on the myth of the 20th century so i'm happy to share whatever knowledge i have and hopefully um 
you know, say something that uh, some of your listeners have never really thought about. Yeah, I thought it would be it'd be worthwhile because you're right. We haven't really brought it up too much. We're we're sort of up in the clouds thinking about <laughs> military history and whatnot, which uh, I think is fascinating as well. But let, let's be honest, it's. Um, not exactly something most of us can have uh, any influence on. And so right. uh, I have a, a practical personality um, for you know, at least some things. And um, I've been um, a little bit more keen on doing things that are a little bit more hands-on. I think this is actually one of one of those topics. Um, and then if, if that's all you've been doing, you probably you know want to do other stuff. But but let's talk about it. And, and what you said before reminded me, because uh, the last show we did, um, and as, as this is being recorded, it hasn't aired yet. So apologize if that's confusing. I think it'll be out though, by the time this comes out, but, uh, we were talking to a gentleman who actually is uh, from the military and he, uh, he focuses on military history. So you might actually like listening to him, General Lance, but he, um, and I were, were chatting about, uh, Andrew Tate at, at the end of uh, our show, just, it, it came up and I remember you guys, and I mentioned you, uh, you guys, uh, on the show, uh, because you had brought it up, I think last year, I think it was, uh, I am serious who was sort of introducing it to your audience. Now you may have already known about him, but I knew about actually Tate a couple years ago from, uh, Richard Cooper. I haven't listened to him in a long time, but he used to uh, do a lot of stuff on the manosphere, but he, he got sick of that shit too. Cause you know, he, he literally would, would call it the monosphere. He got tired of people complaining all the time. And so his whole thing was, you know, he called it do the work, you know, the reason nobody, wants to go out with you is because you know you're, you're not a you're not a dateable guy so mm-hmm. here are the things you need to do to, to become that guy if you want those things and I, I agree with that um but anyway um yeah before tate got famous really like he uh he was just doing these like little podcasts and that's i i just kind of randomly heard about him but then he got big and part of it was he was very good at marketing um and then recently he got arrested and I think he's fascinating because he sort of speaks very clearly. But the reason I you reminded me of him is, and this was a point that I think you guys were all making, he doesn't really say anything that hasn't been said by either right. the manosphere, the dissident sphere, the alt-right even. A lot of these guys have been talking about this stuff, but they never really got big like he did. And to me, I don't care. I, good, you know, I... I I genuinely want this stuff to to be understood and, and 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 part of the solution as opposed to being like you know mocked on on Hollywood you know by you know movies like The Joker or something. I, I think this is serious stuff. And and his whole thing is like mental health, men's young men's mental health is yeah. why you have school shootings. They're not in the right in in their right place, you know. And who's been raising them the whole time? You know, it's 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 women, you know, liberal teachers, you know, ironically. So like, if you're to tell me that they're, they need more doses of wokeism and liberalism and more feminism or whatever it is, it's probably not, uh, matching up with sort of the the data here. Um, and so philosophically speaking, I think he's, he's right. You know, there is a problem out there and I think part of the solution, maybe it's not, you know, modeling yourself per se after this individual, because, you know, his life story is very interesting. And part of the why I think everybody finds him intriguing is that he, he had a rough upbringing, you know, his father and mother were split up. His father was uh, a genius. Uh, he, he was a, a African American guy who married a British white woman, but he was a, he worked for the CIA as a linguist yeah. and he had like the fastest rate of learning 
Russian or any language for that matter, probably, uh, than anybody else they'd ever trained. Like it took them four weeks to learn the language, which is incredible. And I've studied foreign languages. I can't do that. And and I've never been like super good at, you know, foreign languages, but that's exceptional. And he was probably the best black chess player, uh, on record. And his two sons, um, are very bright. And Andrew in particular, he became a kickboxer. He just didn't want to do chess, but he, he still, you know, did it because his father made him to. And so he knows the game and he can think that way, think very strategically. And, um, He's an impressive guy. And, and, and he, he had this kind of weird thing after he, he got, I think he won like kickboxing. I, I, didn't, I didn't even know who he was. I don't, I don't really watch. Well, was sports, he in MMA or UFC or something like that? Kick, no, kickboxing. Uh, before okay. MMA, there was kickboxing. You know, Dolph Lundgren was a kickboxer. Um, I mm-hmm. don't know if Jean-Claude Van Damme was, but he, he might have been. Um, so the kickboxing was the thing. And I, I know in like the 70s and 80s, that was, a, that was like kind of a big sport. Because uh, it, it kind of was the precursor to MMA, if I may say that. It's basically, it's, obviously boxing's been around for a long time uh, in the Western culture. But the the stuff in the 70s, it was sort of like, you know, trying to like, well, you know, you got Bruce Lee, you know, bopping around. Is that just for like, you know, Asian guys? But there were some really famous uh, Caucasian kickboxers. Benny Urquidez, uh, there's another guy who, who can only kick with one foot, but I can't remember his name, but they call him like Superfoot, maybe Superfoot Wallace, I think is his name, but it was a sport. And so that's what he, right. he did. And, and he, I guess he won or something. But after that, he's like, okay, what do I do now? Um, so he, he got into this weird uh, webcam business, which I don't, I don't really endorse, you know, that type of business, but he made money at it and he's good. He's a good salesman. And this is actually part of why he got um, held without really any charge in Romania, where he ended up moving to. Uh, I don't don't know if I have to give his whole backstory. You can probably, you know, if you haven't learned about him, watch a couple of his videos. But Wikium. Um, yeah, we, well, if you, I don't know if I can trust Wikipedia, but the, <laughs> of course, but he then found his way with his brother and he has a very interesting relationship with his brother. Cause it's sort of like in the, in the spirit of like, you know, men and like thinking of masculinity, he actually has had many women who have wanted to get married and raise a family with him, but they don't like the fact that he's like so tight with his brother. It's unfortunately not all women, but some women do this. They, they see sometimes um, strong male relationships, you know, not homosexual, but just, you know, friendships or, or uh, fraternal relationships like, you know, Andrew and um, uh, Tristan is, is his brother's name. Um, those types of relationships as a threat to them. And so they'll, whether they're conscious of it or not, they'll subconsciously start like trying to separate uh, the guy and, and we all know the guy who got married, you know, this wife won't let him out. And it's like, where, yeah. where, where, where did, uh, where did, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a name. I actually don't know, but I'm trying to keep the, keep this anonymous, but where, where did, uh, Steve go? Like just some generic name, nobody in particular, but where did Steve go? You know, well, he got married. You know, yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. I know that story. I've known so many guys like that. And, um, yeah. Anyway, but he has an interesting relationship and they, uh, they arrested him because I think really he, he started putting this message out about the, uh, the men, you know, kind of picking themselves up, stop, uh, you know, staring at porn all day, stop, uh, complaining, you know, get, 
get successful basically or, or, or shut up, you know, it's basically the summary, but he's very charismatic, very interesting guy. But what really was astonishing is that that's all he was doing. He's just doing YouTube videos and vine videos, or I don't think that's around anymore. TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, and they canceled him of course. And then what happened? I mean, I think the not Romania didn't really care, but it was probably, they were suggested you need to arrest this guy because he, he had set up this compound in Romania with his brother with the casino and then they, they arrested him. Um, so that's, that's the sort of backstory for anybody who's not familiar, but, uh, you, you know who he is. I, and, and I think just to start off this kind of topic of the, the Manosphere stuff, because he's currently the most famous guy in it. What's going on? What do you think? Um, I don't, I mean, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have not watched a single one of his videos. And the reason why I never consumed any of his content was I found them to be a little bit too uh, somatic, um, you know, with this whole machoism. Hmm. Um, he, he would be air quote. Uh, the so you've, you've seen something toxic to, to, to make that determination, but you haven't watched like the full length or you haven't really kept up as my understanding no oh no he you know he's biracial british uh, you know he's he's nothing you know he's like i could not relate to his lifestyle whatever he's about or other you know yeah talk or, or no. listen to someone that i can I get it. relate to i get it but you know i mean i i'll i'll listen to a guy you know from china you know if he's got something to say it doesn't mean i have to be you know the same guy but there's a lot of you know the dalai lama it's he thinks that London's being invaded by non-British people. I mean, you know, you don't have to be of the same race to to really be able to learn something. Oh, one hundred percent, I'm with you. Yeah, it's it's a little bit. Uh, again, this is just me, my own personal opinion on the guy. Again, I don't know him. From, I just know him from you know uh, various clips and you know like you know maybe like fifteen twenty second clips of him discussing about male and female relations. Um, you know, he's wearing designer sunglasses. He's driving around in expensive cars. Um, doesn't look like he <laughs> air quote works. It's not like he's a plumber or something like that. Uh, you know, I, I rather can listen to someone who, you know, is probably more like a blue collar guy, maybe who, who's gone through a divorce or, or had a couple kids. Um, Interesting. Again, that's just me. Uh, you know, I, I, there's a little bit, there's a little too much vanity in what he's projecting, and it, it seems he just yeah, you're not wrong. just from a, yeah. a, from a, 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 a the casual observer, he he seems to be uh, again a little a little too vain for for my take. That's that's just me. But yeah, he's obviously the most popular person out there in the air quote manosphere. Um, it's interesting. You did mention about his father being uh, alien, working for the CIA. I think mm-hmm. there's something. There may be something there. That Maybe why hey, that's interesting. So I hadn't actually thought of that, and I probably should have. But yeah, it's a good point. I, I didn't right. So yeah. how did he? How did he become elevated to this status? I think he and, appeared on Joe Rogan. And he, did he really? I didn't. I mean, I actually see him on uh, on other places. But the um, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. And there's a video of him, I think, punching a woman in the face. Again, like, like, like that's not, like, you know, it's okay. really not a good representation of, of yeah. the atypical guy. Most guys cannot drive around in a Maserati going to Romania and having sex with third world hookers. I mean, that's just not <laughs> <laughs> No, this it's, is good. I, I like the pushback. I, I'm not a, I, I don't know if I'm a fan. Um, I admire his tenacity. 
I will I will give him a lot of credit for that because I think a lot of people would have buckled under this amount of pressure. So I I think it's very masculine what he's trying to do. But I completely agree. He's very vain. He is probably smart enough to recognize that. And I think he's actually toned it down a little bit. But he's a little bit hard well, to... He's found the god pill now from what I understand. Right. And I was going to say that too. Like I... I have a little bit of a hard time completely trusting him. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for why I wouldn't necessarily trust him, but um, main. Well, first of all, I don't think he would have anything to do with a guy like me. I mean, I'm just a pretty normal guy. Like I, I don't have a, a freaking garage full of luxury cars, nor would I put my money into that because I think it's a waste of money. But well, yes, um, does he know how to fix that car? If he knows how to fix that no, car, I'll bet you he doesn't. That <laughs> That's car, the funny part, listen too. To him. Yeah, you and I, uh, actually, we talk off offline about that stuff. We, we, we probably could fix his Bugatti, but... Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, we probably have to order something to, to fix it. It's probably <laughs> it's under a Lucite case. Everything It's like a, a circuit board today. Everything's glued together. But, uh, yeah. you know, if it was an old old Bugatti, we probably could probably could do fine. Um, but in any case, no, I, I think he's a different type of animal. Um, but a, a, anyway, I, it's, it's like the reason I brought him up mainly was because he kind of just like sums up a lot of this stuff. And the, the, the thing I was actually going to say was um, – yeah, it's funny you mentioned the CIA because he does not mention. I don't think he said the CIA. I don't think he said he's t- he talked about it his father working there, but he never like he calls this like a uh, nebulous force that keeps everybody down. Apparently, the Matrix, and, and we talk about stuff like that all the time, but we right. we try to be a little bit more specific. And and I don't personally, you know, Nick is is obviously a little different in that way, but I don't personally like to just pin it on you know, the, the J double O's as you say on your show, but, um, I think they're a factor and I don't think Tate's ever mentioned it ever. And I think he's smart enough to probably have at least heard that theory. Um, you know, I think he, he's also a businessman and I think he wants to keep his, um, (laughs) his shekels, so to speak coming in. So I, um, which again, I don't, that's whatever. I mean, the majority of what he says, I agree with and it's fine. It's, uh, it's just interesting. Well, my is, is how, this, like, how many is guys this are a PSYOP? I don't know. I mean, sorry, I was just going to say. My concern is how many young men are consuming his content mm-hmm. versus uh, actually maybe talking to their uncles or or befriending someone uh, older to become a mentor or or just getting out there in the world yeah. versus you know listening to a guy who's halfway around the world getting arrested. I mean, you know, okay. It's, and it's I've a, heard that sort of dichotomy before, and I actually don't disagree with it but i will ask you the question if he didn't exist do you think those kids would be talking to their uncle or were they watching no, some other video they would, they would find someone else on the internet to exactly listen to. exactly and we're not any different i mean i you know i i have family members uh and i get along with most of them but it's not like that i have problems with any of them it's just i don't always have the same interest to them. And it's a question of like, do you look up to them? Do you find inspiration from them? Can they help you? And if they can't, absolutely. Like that's, that's, that's better than anything. I mean, you know, blood is stronger than water, but you know, if you've got somebody who's an alcoholic in your family and you just can't get off the couch, I mean, like you're not going to learn much from them. Right. But is that is the question is, and I'll punt it back to you. Is that a good role model 
to to base your persona off of and obviously it depends listen, you know, it depends yeah but go ahead like you know obviously your your environment your family is is the the, the bulk of how you base your personality on yeah. but for me like a lot of my role models when i was a teenager they they were all well put together sharp um classy individuals um you know for me a lot of them were were I don't want to say perfectionist, but I always uh, viewed a lot of like my personal role models as a teenager as, as someone who worked really hard, um, a little bit of perfectionist, um, very serious, uh, diligent, uh, studied really hard, uh, and generally serious individuals. Um, so, you know, I always admired individuals like that because I'm not necessarily a polished person. A lot of the people that I always tried to emulate were polished in their work and their, their due diligence, so on and so forth. So, you know, a guy like Andrew Tate drive around a Bugatti. It's like, dude, like, come, come give, me, give me a fucking break, man. <laughs> I'm never going to own a Bugatti. So I don't really like, you know, it's like, you know, maybe if you're driving a Cadillac or, you know. All right. But let me, let me, let me tell you something. And, yeah. you know, whatever works for you, by the way. So you yeah, don't have yeah. to like, get inspiration from some random person I, I, I name for, you know, no reason other than I've named him. You need to get the guy that, that or the, the girl or whoever, just the person that, that is going to help you the most, whether it's your mom, your dad. I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter, but there's good people out there and, and you need to, you know, be around them. That, that's, that's, that's yeah, important in life. No, look, I, I listen, I, I, again, he, he's very, po- he's a popular individual, no doubt. Again, I'm not necessarily one to indulge, uh, indulge in his, his content. Um, I, we've mentioned him in passing on my show, uh, just a, a little, again, mentioning more, more or less about his father's tie to the CIA, which again, like, how did this person become, from not necessarily out of nowhere, but becoming to the point where Interpol's getting involved with yeah. him being arrested, and that's becoming a mainstream, uh, a mainstream topic. And I'm, I take that back. He wasn't on Joe Rogan. He was on Tucker Carlson. So. That yes, that I, that I knew about, and, um, and and I remembered something I was, was going to mention just now. Um, if you but ever you heard to be on Tucker Carlson out of nowhere, well, okay. You know first, I mean? first, like, okay. Me, so, like, okay, so, right. what are you so doing for, on Tucker for, Carlson? First of show? all, like, for, okay. Yeah. First, first of all, do you not think it's possible that somebody of his discipline, intelligence and charisma can get anywhere without an intelligence agency putting him there? Or do you think that you have to have their, have their help? I think at this point in the in the game, I think you do need help. <laughs> you might be right, but I'd have to to be convinced of that. I'd have to see proof of that. And right, no, absolutely. I happen to know people who have gotten pretty far in life, and nobody really helped them. So I, I don't completely buy this whole like uh, you know you didn't earn it kind of stuff. And obviously, some people may disagree with me, but. Uh, well, you just look at Tucker Carlson's background too. Was it was didn't he apply for the CIA, CIA or something? Yeah, and he's, um, I've heard that. Right? And you know, the first time I learned about that, that was from uh, Devin Stack, Black Pilled. Yep. Um, I haven't listened to his show in so long, and it's uh, it's he's a he's a very very smart guy, by the way, and and I think he's um, very talented at what he does. Uh, to be honest, the reason I, I stopped listening was I, I just got tired of him complaining all the time. Like I, I, I don't, yes. and I don't hear, need to hear you tell me about some video being a propaganda again. Like I, I get it, um, but he, um, he was saying Tucker Carlson was like uh, garbage, and I'm like because he's got some kind of tie with the CIA, and I'm like I don't know, dude. Like 
I don't need, look, if my, if my goal is to get over the horizon and you know, my dream obviously is to get like a jet pack or something that's going to move me over there, you know, gracefully and have a lot of you know excitement while I do it. And if a horse comes along and that's all I got, I'll, I'll ride the fucking horse. Like, I don't understand right. this argument that you, you have to be this like perfect, pure, they called it purity spiraling a few years ago. Spiraling, I don't know if people yeah. still talk that way, but I, I think it's just, it's just silly that to discount somebody who is doing more good and then bad. Now, do, do they create like some sort of uh, they call it crowding out uh, in, in economics? Like if, um, if the government, let's just say, let's say the government is communist. Okay. And they tax you at a hundred percent. Well, that, that's the ultimate uh, proof of what a crowd out is because you have no personal discretionary income whatsoever. So there's no right. private sector. So the government controls it all. But what they say is like the reason you don't necessarily want to have high taxes is the government's very inefficient. They, they don't have the incentives to, to sort of work, you know, as the businesses do because, you know, you don't have a choice. Like they'll point a gun at you if they don't, you don't give them their, uh, their money. You know, good businesses are not able to do that unless you're in a really crooked place. But I mean, like really bad, like, yeah, there's criminals out there, there's gangsters, but come on, like the government is the biggest gangster ever. So, um, they call it crowding out. So applying similarly, the same concept to the dissident world, whatever it is called. And if you take a guy like Carlson and say, he is crowding out the opportunity for somebody better to come along. I might have some sympathy for that, but I also don't think that the world works like a economics textbook. It's just not that clean. It never is. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm at the end of the day, kind of a pragmatist. I will accept personally somebody who does 80% good and maybe doesn't take you that last 20%, but doesn't really knock the last 20%. He just kind of lets you find it on your own, whether it's a Alex Jones video or something more. Right. But I don't understand this whole, like he's not trustworthy because he doesn't reveal a hundred percent. I don't get that. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but that's the sort no, of critique I, I've heard I of Tucker totally Carlson. Agree with you. And I, okay. He'll, 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 he'll lead you to the water, but you know, it's up to you to drink it. I guess. That's, yeah. And it's up know. to you to have a, a filter in your backpack. You know, that that's yeah. not, at some point people need to have some agency and obviously <laughs> most people, unfortunately are, are not very good at that, but, and they're not very astute at discerning between lies and truth. And we all, you know, are not perfect at that. We're all trying to get better, hopefully, but, um, it's hard. I get it. But I think it's just silly to, to think that somebody is going to do, um, do you remember Patrick little, uh, this guy, uh, he, he ran for Congress or something. And he was talking about the, um, you know, the Zionist lobby, like how, how powerful the Israeli lobby is in Congress in Washington. And he literally had a, a placard. He was wearing like a suit and, and nobody with him. And he just like went onto some street, raised a sign and it said, JWO's rape kids. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you're going to be winning over the masses. With you, that you're one. not winning. I mean, you, you remind me, you know, of the guy that when I was working one of my early jobs, walking down the street and the guy, 
you know, would like stand on a bucket upside down a bucket and start yelling about, you know, the, the, the coming apocalypse and Jesus and all this stuff. It's like, right. Look, people are just like, Whoa, dude, <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's crazy. Like don't, it's it, not crazy that he's wrong necessarily, but his delivery is so obtuse. It's like taking a, a, a sledgehammer uh, on a finishing nail on your crown molding. Like you, you don't right. do that. You need a finer touch because most people are delicate and they're not going to take whatever you're selling them, you know, with a friggin' blow to the head. So it's, um, it's just, I think that the, the message needs to be actually quite diverse, you know, <laughs> to use that horrible term that actually has been sullied, I think by, by things that shouldn't be involved in, in that concept. Cause it's a general concept and it's like, look, uh, you have a diversified portfolio of investments, for example, and you only do that not because you think it's necessarily going to outperform, but because it's a little bit more stable. Like just in case, you know, you have like a fire team and a military, like, okay, I'm going to go over that hill. Uh, well, you know, we need one guy who's got a sniper rifle. We need one guy who's got the radio. We need another guy who's a medic. I mean, you get the idea. Like you want to have a mm-hmm. mixture because you don't know, how the future is going to play out necessarily. And so you want to have sort of these contingencies, same thing with the you know, mass media. You want to have people who can communicate in a different way because people receive information differently. But anyway, so just bringing it back to Tate, I think he's fine, you know, at the very least, but um, we could, we can sort of move on. Like uh, we were, we were brainstorming about like, again, what this topic is going to be about. And, you know, your, your show is, is uh, sort of <laughs> interviewing people mostly, but some of it is, is uh, lamenting the dating scene. We could talk about that. What I wanted to really talk about and focus on possibly was this whole um, girl boss thing that I've been hearing a lot about and uh, from, you know, women friends of mine and, and just talking about their girlfriends and stuff and um, how they're, they're, they're killing it, you know, in the, in the, the boardroom. And yeah, I have a lot to say on this, but what do you think about the girl boss? Well, it's fascinating, uh, to say the least, that a lot of the, like I say, I guess, uh, air quote, corporations uh, putting this whole diversity quota, you know, making sure women get a seat in the boardroom, et cetera, et cetera, has uh, caused um, like a kind of an imbalance uh, regarding uh, business and, I guess, uh, social equity, air quote, uh, where, where, again, you're, you're you're introducing some type of woman who's wants to put potpourri in the bathroom and uh, bring doggies to the office, and you know, just making sure no one's feelings get hurt when you have to fire them, and and you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think in in in, in kind of a in truncate it. All, all you're necessarily doing is if let's say you have a woman in power, you're all you're doing is having another guy in control. And that's just my take. I don't think necessarily women have the ability. And, and again, I'm, 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 I'm using a rule. I'm not going to point to an exception because, you know, there's going to be someone who's mm. listening. No, my daughter's doing so great and she's fantastic. She's running a great department for so-and-so. Like I'm not talking about that exception. I'm talking about the rule. And I think for the most part and just my experience – uh, uh, women in power and women in control of a large, uh, a large business or or anything anything that's bureaucratic, uh, they they still tend to turn to a guy for some form of guidance, and that's just my hmm. my um, my two cents. The, the only I, I thing, thing I've personally observed on that on that level, and obviously this sort of like uh, 
Svengali Rasputin type, like, you know, whispering in her ear, giving her the marching orders. I, that can take many forms. I personally haven't seen anything of that caricature, but what I have seen is a lot of, well, not a lot. I, I don't have, I don't know that many, uh, women in uh, corporate in the corporate world at least who have a lot of uh, top level management positions i do know uh, a fair number of middle management ladies that are there for some nebulous reason most of most of the people including the women don't really know what their job is usually like project managers or some nonsense but (laughs) god i remember this one gal that like had this meeting and she she spent all this time like creating this weird like football like gantt chart system where to make it like for the guys or something like, you know, I don't know if you know what a Gantt chart is, but it's basically just like a bunch of tasks yeah, on the, the horizontal. Managers. Yeah. And then the, and then the, the, the Y or the, the X axis is the, uh, is the sort of timeline, you know, the, the sort of top, you know, the columns in Excel and then the, the rows are the different tasks. But the Gantt chart is just stacking all that stuff up and seeing where there's parallel processes, if there's dependencies, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it, it was developed for construction, actually. And um, anybody who has done like architecture or civil engineering or anything like that, like, you probably know what that stuff is. And it used to be a product called uh, Microsoft Project. Regardless, uh, Gantt chart's been around for a long time. But <laughs> I remember her contribution was like putting like the, the, the clip art, like, football icon on this thing and just like try to get the guys you know and that sometimes these women they call themselves den mothers um but what i was going to say was that sometimes um well typically types like middle management types like this they usually don't have technical backgrounds now there's exceptions to this but they often will then defer to a guy for the technical stuff uh you know the, the stereotypical autist or something over in the computer room but it's um it's interesting and i've also known uh, not personally but just you know from uh, general knowledge of uh female ceos some of which i actually do have a fair amount of respect for because they've been successful the uh, the gal who runs occidental petroleum has warren buffett's vote you know with his like money you know so she's done okay uh, there's, there's a few others actually in the chemical industry that are, for whatever reason, they, they seem to be doing pretty well. And then there's the sort of catastrophes <laughs> on the other end. And there's probably a whole bunch in the middle. And I'd have to really see all the data to, to kind of make determination how actually successful they are. But anecdotally speaking, it's kind of all over the board. And there, there's some famous blowups, obviously Theranos, uh, Elizabeth Holmes. Um, you have... I, not necessarily a blow up, but Packard, one that ran for a good example. In good example, Carly Fiorina. That's a great example. Thank you. Yeah, she she kind of made a mess of that place, and her campaign wasn't very successful either. There are there are horror stories, but there's there's horrible guy managers too. And I, I'm not I'm not trying to be, you know, we're all the same. I just don't know what the data shows, and I'm very data driven, especially these days after I've heard plenty of ideologues talk my ear off, and then nothing happens. Like I. I'm I'm very skeptical without seeing evidence, but the um, the phenomenon is real and it's a cultural meme. And I, I just know personally women who I don't typically make friends with these types of ladies because they're usually kind of narcissists. But the uh, their friends, like, you know, I might know and they'll tell me about this. Like, oh yeah, so and so is like, you know, it used to be like a boss bitch, and I think they kind of learned that nobody really likes hearing that. Um, why would you, but, um, they, they kind of morphed into this like boss babe and then, you know, girl boss kind of thing, which is a little bit less, uh, abrasive sounding, obviously. 
And it's, it's, it's kind of a thing that I've noticed ambitious women seem to aspire to become, which, okay. If you're an ambitious woman, like I can understand why you'd want to become the boss. I get it. Um, but, and I say this to guys too, you, you, you don't get to be the boss in most people's book unless you've earned it. So, you know, there shouldn't be a quota, uh, you need to be a good boss. And, um, uh, that's how I feel. But, um, and then there are other people that actually think that women are just bad in the workplace overall. I think that's probably a little bit too simplistic, but I think it's an open question. The effect of mixed sex off, uh, working, working places. Cause it used to be completely segregated for practical purposes. Yeah. You'd have secretaries, you'd have you know, phone operators, but it, whatever, that's sort of an ancillary job. Like you, the core decisions, the, the sort of mainline operations, even like the, when we were still an industrial nation, like, you know, most of the, the hard work was like men and women were at home and they had their own domain. That was their sort of palace, you know, as, um, Phyllis Schlafly would say, you know, she's the queen of her castle. And some women actually fought to defend that. And then they kind of got sucked into this corporate stuff. Um, so obviously we've, we've been observing this for decades, but the latest manifestation I thought was kind of interesting how this like word came about. Um, so anything more you want to say about that? No, look, um, I think there's, I think there's an obscene amount of pressure put on both sexes to perform Sure. Um, dual roles, let it say. So yeah, this yeah. girl boss has to be both masculine and feminine right. at the same time. Like in her personal life, she has to be, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, being a mother, uh, taking care of her relatives, whatever. Just typical trade con talking points that they're mm-hmm. still instilled in them, whether we want to agree or disagree on that. And at the same time, they have to be, you know, somewhat of <laughs> of a psychopath in a boardroom and fire people and take on these these kind of these typical masculine roles. And on the other end of the pendulum, guys have to be more sensitive. They have to be open-minded to yeah. to uh, gender inclusion, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's basically, it, it's causing a huge schism between the two sexes where everyone's just generally miserable. And I think for, for women taking on these managerial roles, um, upper management, lower management, whatever. A typical woman that's you know graduated, uh, you know, in Ivy League school, or you know has a a master's degree in, in marketing, or or in um, in in some type of uh, corporate communications, or what have you. They they have to somewhat blend both of these worlds together to try to push forward in what it is they're trying to accomplish. And for, for a lot of women, it's, it's difficult. There's no doubt about it. Like, you know, it's like, okay, you're entering a male's domain. How are you going to play? Are you going to come off as being uh, abrasive and start barking orders and trying to gain respect? Well, all you're going to do is push these guys further and further away. And I've only seen, and again, in my own personal experience, it, to, to me, it seems like boomer women tend to do much better because they, they have one foot in the old world, one foot in the new world where mm. they kind of understand the males. They're also um, older. Remember right. that. that. That brings wisdom. So, Right. And, people and skills, they, they kind of – they're used to what they're used to the way guys operate before yeah. we had a lot of this social upheaval yeah. millennials um uh, women for the most part have taken on this again this 
uh, <laughs> I guess, Karen, I want to say, where they don't necessarily know how to balance both the, the I guess, I want I don't, not to sound like a, like a fucking fag, but how to blend the feminine energy and male energy. Uh, 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 I take that back. How to, how to uh, balance where, where, like, how to get what it is you want out of your workers, especially your male workers, without coming off as as being an inferior male, let us say, because mm-hmm. that's generally what feminism has done is they've kind of removed a lot of the, um, I guess, what makes women women out of out of the workplace in order to get what it is they're trying to achieve. Like if you're just being kind, sweet, and and sympathetic and or empathetic to whatever a male's shortcomings are in the workplace. Um, you would be able to pull him up and push him forward versus just beating him down like what a male boss would do, you know? One thing I've, I've, um, I've heard some women tell me, and this doesn't speak for all women because most women don't say anything about this, but I've heard a, a more than one woman say that in more, you know, more or less, without sort of remembering exactly how they put it, uh, they would basically say that they kind of resented how there was a double standard in terms of what the tone of speaking was allowable for men and women. So specifically what I mean is that they would tell me that they didn't like how it was seemingly acceptable for a man to raise his voice, for example, or show... Uh, negative emotion uh, towards the subordinate. And when a woman does it in their view, uh, it's viewed as inappropriate. Uh, And I have a nuanced take on that is that, and I certainly know guys who can't control their emotions. Don't get me wrong, but I will say that in a work environment, on average, not all, but on average, most men are less emotional than women. And the tendency for the emotionality on the female side can be quite uh, annoying to, to, to the very least because you can't actually solve a problem at a certain point when a woman is really upset. You know, the, the famous saying like, you know, uh, hell hath no fury, you know, like a woman scorned you can't reason at that point. And so they, they, they turn into this, it's basically turns into a tantrum and I've known a few women like this and it, it's, it's, you can't do anything. You basically just have to go mute and let them, uh, let them wail on you and then just come back when they're, when they're cooled off. Because if you escalate with that and I know guys like this too, don't get me wrong, but again, on average, it's very difficult to reason with an upset woman. And part of it is men and women communicate differently. And so men are more used to being blunt with each other and not worrying, not being as sensitive to the other guy's feelings. It's like, ah, you know, like don't be a baby or don't be a pussy, you know, literally. And so it's, we're, we're sort of not again, not all, but on average, I think we have a thicker skin and we communicate a little bit more bluntly, um, whether it's just biologically or because we're used to that than the women and the women they'll be upset by that type of speaking and then they might get defensive and then react it's a it's a giant mess and like you know the women are like saying like well it's the men's fault and the men might say it's the women's fault i'm not even pointing fingers i'm just observing that it didn't seem this complicated when it was segregated 
So I'll just leave it at that. But well, you can't. Let, let's let's take military roles for example. Oh, mil- military is you know, an even more obvious point where I think women are inappropriate, at least in combat. At the very least, I don't mind if they're medics. I think, I think it can work in you know the behind the scene, behind the lines and stuff. I think that's fine. I'd rather have a woman nurse, to be honest. But oh, one hundred percent. There's no doubt about it. I mean, me, me and you discussed Storm of Steel, and he was talking a little bit, a little bit about the female orderlies and mm-hmm. how important uh, their roles were in um in uh you know taking care of a lot of the wounded soldiers and no doubt like (laughs) do you do you want to have a a female nurse or (laughs) or a male nurse taking care of you on your on your deathbed no there makes a world of difference a good nurse has a lot of empathy and not all women are very empathetic frankly but the ones that are i think have that mothering instinct and that's the type of person you want taking care of you i mean come on you know it's not even debatable you know really if you're being (laughs) a reasonable person the question is is do I want to take orders from a female admiral? I, I can tell you right now, that just again, a little bit a of military question. history. I'm like, that fuck no, I'm not taking well, orders. You, Are you crazy? Yeah, I know. And it's like, um, I think the other, the other insidious part of this, and this isn't even like, uh, a stab at women in particular. It's just sort of like an observation of the, the overall, I think nature of how the, the Thulu swims left or whatever the, the meme is, um, how this like Leviathan force of, uh, more liberalism everywhere just kind of continues to grow because it, it appeals to the disaffected that, that that's what it is. It's like, that's what right. the left is. It's like, okay, you're not, you're not accepted in the system. You're not, you're not getting results you want. You know, they don't, they're not going to phrase it that way. But to me, that's the sort of unpacking and literal, translation of what's going on the politics of envy people call communism for example but what what it is is you're disaffected you don't have the power you you want the power but you're being held down it's not your fault sounds like the alt-right frankly and um (laughs) that's why you know i have some some issues with uh moaning about the stuff uh, ad nauseum but the um the the sort of promise of the left is oh but we're going to fix it for you with government or something. And it's sort of nebulous underwear gnomes logic, but it's, um, it's the same thing. It's like, okay, so you, you get women in the military, you get gays in the military, and then they, then they all like sort of corral together. Cause oh, we're in this together, you know, we're the minorities and then they start getting trannies in and then it just, it never ends. And like, uh, it, it's, it's an amalgamation of disaffected groups. And all that's holding them together is a bunch of grievances. It, it's not a cohesion based on honor, strength, loyalty, right. even, you know, the, these are historical militaristic virtues. Um, it, it's based on a bunch of complaining and whining. Well, I got news for you, gal, girl, man, woman, whatever you are now. Um, they, then. Yeah. Pronoun, uh, asterisk, fill in the blank, um, you know, floating point variable. Um, the enemy doesn't care. Frankly, they're, they're, they're laughing at you and they want to shoot you in the head. They're not going to give you any sympathy. So get over yourself and think about the group, the cohesion of the unit, i.e. the military, the army, whatever fighting force you're in and get over your personal problems. That's the stuff that I, I just can't stand when I see this. It's like you you say you're all about like helping people. Well, really, it's what, it, what is it about? Really, it's about helping yourself. 
And, you know, again, like the dissident sphere, it's not about helping like the, the, the non-dissidents, obviously it's about helping the dissidents. But I think I, I have a lot of respect for people within that group that, that say things like, well, okay, we need to think about the next generation. We need to think about the civilization. And if, if I don't make it, at least, as long as I move that goal forward, if that's the best I can do with my life, that's the best I can do with my life, and I will do that. I, I, how can you not respect that? That's basically the, the characteristic of a hero, that somebody that's putting themselves out there, you know, taking the arrows in the back and defending the group. And, um, and I, I'm not... I'm not a big believer in, you know, just like uh, socialism or anything like that, because I don't think it actually recognizes the reality that most people aren't heroes. They're, they're zeros and they, they want to have people do it for them. But um, I do want to encourage the culture of heroism and things like that. And that's typically a masculine trait. And so, you know, when you have girls in the workplace, it sort of confuses things. So anyway, well, I, uh, let me uh, let me build upon that. And uh, after again doing this for so many years now, um, I've boiled things down to again the, uh, too much of uh, too much decadence, too much luxury. Um, there's no hardships anymore. You don't have someone uh, pointing an arrow to 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 your back or to your front, I should say. So going back to like again the girl boss thing. Well, because you, there's such a there's so much money sloshing around with with uh, you know low interest loans and again about, <laughs> not 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 lately but <laughs> yeah two years ago yeah. right well yeah right but uh, you know again if there's all these um these shell corporations and you know again like uh, uh, there's no uh, n- not necessarily that many layoffs in certain sectors of of the um, of the economy, well, yeah, that's why you have dog a uh, doggy daycare on in, on the ground level, right? And that's why you have these videos of you know twenty something year old uh, you know working for Google, where there's you know there's a twenty four hour chef and they're you know flying around the world and living their best lives and not necessarily contributing to the greater good of that business. Uh, it, basically, a lot of corporations have turned into um, an extension of college, and it's something that I've noticed. Again, you know, you don't have to drive an hour and a half into the office. It, it's now on Zoom, where you can probably work two jobs without either businesses knowing that you're working two jobs. And you know, and again, it's like if if, if that's your economy. Right. And you, you don't have to worry about filing for bankruptcy or someone's going to bail the, you know, the business is going to get bailed out. And again, looking at the military where you don't have cities being raised by uh, by an enemy. Oh, that's why you're able to have female admirals because there's, you're, you know, an aircraft carrier is not getting attacked. That's right. Uh, you yeah, know, we, we're, not, we can no afford sh- it. It's not actually helping anything. But how would you know right. that unless you're under attack? Because you can't measure Correct. the performance of these units unless, unless they're putting yeah. the pressure. And there's no pressure right now. So yeah, you, no, can, you can right. screw around. You can you know set up a lawn chair on the aircraft carrier deck and get a tan. You know, instead of scrubbing the thing and, and making sure your engines. Uh, you know, not leaking oil or something. It's 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 like there's no pressure, so of course you can screw around with all these you know rainbow flags. But when shit gets well, real, you know, the it's USS not going to happen. Richard, a couple of years ago, do you know about that story? Uh, I'm guessing it's one of the uh, the ships that hit hit a hit a reef or something. I mean, I, I was just talking no, to this no, guy last, last time. No, no, that's another vessel. 
That's it was a, one, some yeah. a disgruntled crew member who failed uh, being a Navy SEAL, fell in love with a, another, um, fell in love with a woman on on the another uh, sailor, fell in love. She left him for another guy, and he torched the boat, and the boat was written off as a total loss. Oh, so so a guy torched it, huh? Yep. So I guess we can't of, uh, we can't put uh, that uh, in the, uh, the we can't put that in the. Well, can we put in the women shouldn't be there column or uh, whose fault is it? Correct. Sounds like, yeah. And, and it circles back to, yeah. again, well, how did this happen in the first place? You introduced yeah. a female on a vessel full of yeah, yeah. horny 18, 19 year old men. And yeah. This guy yeah. Up, Whatever happened to the, uh, you know, lock up your uh, wives and daughters. The sailors are in town. I mean, like, that's what how it used to work. They'd. <laughs> they'd externalize that risk on the uh, the shore the land lovers right that you don't bring that onto a i mean i don't know if anybody listening to this has ever been to sea uh i try to keep that to a minimum that place is dangerous I mean, humans are not meant to be out there so you introduce <laughs> toxic elements to a vessel that basically has a speed of i don't know 20 miles an hour and you're in the middle of the ocean i mean that's it like you ain't going anywhere and then if you got a problem you're you're underwater and you're dead and the matter of you know depending on how cold the water is but you're you're going to die unless somebody picks you up how about the trenches man yeah even, even, even you know that's navy about introducing females into into a foxhole of pillbox course, of course I mean, what do you think's going to happen that's a disaster but oh i mean the stories from uh, i don't know if you ever looked into abu ghraib the uh, iraqi weird cia yeah, prison yeah, yeah. thing a little bit, little bit we did a show about it and it was um it's pretty dark subject matter but um you know that that's nick's specialty but <laughs> that was one of his episodes but he um he, he did a good job but I, I remember watching some of the interviews of the women who were in these like units and it was just such a mess because they were all hooking up they were all doing these really um inappropriate things frankly and some of like the the torture was actually like related to like trying to curry favor with like a guy and they were trying to impress him and then like they were trying to be obedient it, it was just it was so effed up and i'm not saying women you know cause that but it just added an, an additional layer of weird and complexity and frankly like what type of parent wants their kid their daughter going through a, an environment like that i mean you know it's bad enough for a, for a son but call me old-fashioned but I, I think most people can just on their gut instincts feel that it is way worse to put your daughter into this horrendous torture chamber where there's like weird, like male on male rapes and uh, sexual um, humiliation acts and just all this crap versus your son. It's, it's not good for either, but it's just, I, I don't, I don't like it. And it's, I remember actually watching um, right at the beginning of the Iraq war. Um, my grandmother, actually, she, uh, she remembered it was just a, it was like a half a second in my life, but it was, there was a clip on the news of this girl who was in, I guess, I, I don't know if it was Iraq or if it was Afghanistan way back in the day, but it was, um, just a girl in like one of those like desert camo or desert, desert t-shirt fatigue kind of things. And she was like, you know, like cleaning her gun. And my grandmother's like, this is 
this is such a shame. Like this beautiful girl, like what, what is she doing there? And, and I, you know, I wasn't old enough to really think about this stuff that hard, but it was, um, something I remember. And, and so, you know, the old generation, they, they don't, they don't think any of this is good. So it's just amazing how things change. Well, if, if, if women are in military role, what do you need a military for? <laughs> Not to, to, to kind of like bring it to some type of mudsill on a mudsill level, but the crux of it is, okay, what are guys defended exactly if you have a 20-year-old, you know, 100-pound uh-huh. fucking white girl from Kansas right. slinging an M4? Like, well, what am I doing here? What well, am I defending yeah. exactly? And, and you're, you're, you're not wrong, actually, to make this sort of argument that gets the most impact, frankly. I, I've, I've, um, I've given up expecting most people to, uh, to see the, the wisdom of my logic, but <laughs> I, I'll nonetheless, for, for the sort of internet uh, spurg hour that uh, we sometimes maybe delve into, um, I will indulge myself at the very least to sort of going through my thought process on how backwards the logic of having a female combat fighting force is. To me, very simply, it comes down to math. Um, you can have one guy and a hundred women and a hundred babies in one year. If he's obviously very fertile and they're fertile, but if you had one female and one hundred guys, how many how many children can you have in a year? Assuming, <laughs> assuming no twins, obviously, but just, you know, one kid coming out. How many, how many, how many babies can you have? Right. No, I'm, I'm asking you, how many? One. One. What is nine right. Months, man. Right. Yeah. So you kill all your women, your young women. What happens to your population? It's gone. It's the right. next generation that's screwed. It's so stupid. And, you know, I, I don't know what, if I need a blackboard or something, but like nobody's going to pay attention to that. So. It, it, it's it's mathematically insane to put young women in danger like that because they're arguably one of your most precious assets. Oh, I'm sorry. If not you know, the she, most precious asset. Yeah, if not the most important. I mean, for for God's sakes, you know, everybody needs a mother. You know, there's no exceptions. Everybody needs a father too. But you know, you <laughs> we're, we're humans. I I didn't design it this way. Um, males. Well, where do you think you know, this stems from? Where what? do you think the whole idea of um, women taking up, uh, you know, uh, officer officer positions in the military and um, becoming part of the, you know, part of the Borg of the managerial elite? Where do you think that stems? You from? know, I, I probably would have described it slightly differently until I I spoke to our last guest who had a lot to say about what's happened to the military recently. Uh, he he would basically say, you know, it's it's part of the communist agenda uh, to sort of undercut the strength of this country. And I, I would generally agree with that. And I think that if that's a clear enough explanation for most people, I'll just go with that. But I mean, if I'm going to, you know, and, and Nick thinks he's a psyop, but I, I think the, at least the concepts that Yuri Bezmanov uh, talks about, I think is, is valid. I think it makes a lot of sense that why did we have all these weird protests all of a sudden in the United States after we won the cold war or not? We, we didn't win the cold war. We won world war two on, on paper at least. And, uh, America was like, you know, the bomb, like, you know, like the actual, like literal opposite of it. Like nothing had been bombed out. So everything was fine, but it was, um, it was great. What, what, what reason would 
that then parlay into the disaster show that turned into the 60s. Yeah, you could say like Vietnam had a big part of that. I agree with you. But what, what are Vietnam was fought in Vietnam. It wasn't fought in America. So what the hell are people getting all crazy for? Like it was uh, just all this like um, protesting and you know, Black Panthers and feminism, just everything that ripped the country apart. And um, you better believe, and I, I certainly do, that the communists were, were, were supporting that. I mean, the, all the professors today who were involved in that, they're like open communists. So if you don't think the United States is not sympathetic to communism, if not communist itself, I don't know what more proof you need. Like look at Saul Alinsky and all these people and you know, the guy who uh, dedicated his book to the devil and then Hillary Clinton like cites him. I might be mixing up these guys, but it's like the, the, there's a lot of these guys in college campuses. I, 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 I've run into them personally. Um, you know, in places like California, they're everywhere, but, um, they're, they're throughout the country too. So, um, maybe that's too simplistic, you know, to put it in like these, like Let me cold ask you, war what terms, suburban but, white father thinks it's a great idea for his daughter to go to uh West point. None. Oh, well, unless he really wanted a son and he only had a daughter, there might be a few, exactly. but, but the majority you just of them hit don't the nail on the head. That's exactly what yeah. I was about to state. What the, that he the, wanted a son, and he projects yes. his uh, his fantasies and his ideas, and he projects it onto his daughter mm-hmm. and raises them like an inferior male. Well, and and single moms do that too for, to their to their sons sometimes, um, and, and not just single moms. I guess it's just I guess maybe mothers who just wanted a daughter and they only got sons. typically though the single mom without the dad being around to sort of reverse that, like they'll, they'll try to raise their son in a very kind of feminine way. Oh, you need to be nice. You know, like don't fight, you know, um, which to be honest is not terrible advice. Like you do need to learn how to like deal with problems without like hitting people obviously. But, um, some, sometimes it's, it takes a very feminine way about it. And I think there's value in both sides. That's why I think you need a mother and a father ideally, right? Obviously not, not, it's not always ideal, but, um, there is a tendency to do the other way as well. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a whole lot of brokenness. No, no, no question about it. And look, going back to the whole military aspect of things with women taking up, uh, you know, these type of roles in the trenches, whatever. I mean, I think that the, and you may know more about this too. Are women allowed to serve in combat infantry roles in the Marines now too? If I, think I can never tell anymore. I mean, I, <laughs> you, you read, you read the mainstream news and they're always like promoting this stuff, but, um, I think they are. I just don't know if they're being deployed. Like I, I, I remember there was a cutoff where they weren't allowed. They like they can be pilots. They can be um, non frontline service. Yeah, women, look at women that used to the, I mean, the whole freaking term. And, I just want to say servicemen. Female pilots. Like the whole thing is. I mean, what's that? I'm sorry. If you look at the the track record of women being uh, Naval, fighter avi- pilots, aviators, or, or just yep, aviators, not general. a very good track record. Not good. Well, I, I always no. joke. Uh, you know, you you liberals like to uphold Amelia Earhart, but you know, lest we forget, she's the one that got lost. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really understand why you keep bringing her up, but, um, <laughs> but I don't know the statistics. Say, so you look at like the Vietnam War 
And that was, in my opinion, that was the last serious conflict the United States was actually engaged in. And like 58,000, 60,000 U.S. troops dead. We were there for an extended period. And um, look at the amount of fragging that went on. Look at the the amount of infighting that went on at the ground level and, and from the ground level up where you had – you know, uh, generals and Huey helicopters not actually engaged in the fighting on the ground, not knowing what was going on the ground. You had disgruntled uh, platoon leaders, uh, you know, unlisted sergeants, you know, fragging their lieutenants, you know, mm-hmm. lieutenant, you know, just <laughs> his uniform is all pressed and clean. He has no idea uh, what he's up against. Meanwhile, his troops have been engaging the uh, VC or the NVA for an extended period, fragging that guy. And if we were to actually engage in a serious, uh, serious uh, conflict with whomever, it doesn't matter. I'm not saying Russia or China, even though those are the two that we keep pointing to these days. Uh, you know, currently, if we were to go ahead and fight with with a with this amount of uh, infighting, whether mm-hmm. it's race, race, right. class, right. Uh, sex. If you thought Vietnam was bad with infighting, God help you what you would be, yeah. uh, what adversary. Well, you know, you're, what, you're absolutely what right. You know, and not only yeah. was the, the World War II military racially, uh, well, sexually segregated, I was going to say, but it was racially segregated for the same reason. They, they wanted cohesion in the in the fighting units, at, the, at least at the, right. the, the whatever cutoff it was, platoon or something. I don't know, but... Uh, regiment. I, I, I always mix that up. Maybe you can help me on that. I, I can't keep track of the, the ladder tree of how the military is organized. It's so complicated. You know, you got, you got your company, you got your, your platoon, you got your brigade, you got your unit. Correct. I don't know if that's yeah. the order, but, and then, and then after that, I forgot, but it, it's, it's complicated and they used to call them legions. So, you know, where are my legions? I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what it is now. Anyway. Um, do you want to talk about that other topic we were throwing around? I, I couldn't quite bridge it as well as you could have, but maybe you can introduce. No, no. Well, well, well it kind of it kind of coincides. So what I wanted to say, like again, this whole girl boss phenomenon, women taking up these these roles that guys used to, um, you know, used to be in these type of positions. So now you have a woman that makes an excessive amount of money. Meanwhile, a guy is somewhat of a layman. You know, whatever he works like sanitation or uh, whatever he's a selling. He's a working at an auto zone selling. You know, he's working the parts, uh, the car yeah, part air filters. <laughs> yeah, giving giving air filters out or whatever. And meanwhile, women are taking up these type of roles that guys used to um, be in position of. To, to that, be that honest, to be honest, I think I think a woman could work at auto zone. It's not very complicated there. Right, that's my point. Oh, let, let me so show you the uh, the entire wall full of motor oil. <laughs> it's like the, there's not much there. <laughs> They're not selling you parts, really, unless you got to order them. Right. But, so, you know, so like you know, you know, put, putting women in STEM. I know there's a huge push for women to get degrees in engineering. Now, even pushing them into blue collar jobs. I know there's a big um, push to get women to be in unions, working, uh, being electricians, engineers, what have you. Um, so. Basically, okay, so now a woman's making, you know, well over six figures. Guys, for the most part, aren't necessarily as driven as they once were playing video games, pornography, where you know all that, right? Mm-hmm. So now women have no dating options. They're limiting their pool of men to yeah. actually date. And now you have a, a lot of these, yeah. right? So now you have all these women now buying up single family homes for their dogs, um, <laughs> right? So, so now you have, you know, a three, four bedroom house and it's, you know, occupied by a single woman. 
right? Versus it was used to be a, a, a dwelling for an actual family, right? So a guy would make, you know, 100, and again, making enough money to support a family, right? Mm-hmm. You no longer have that. So it kind of, this kind of bleeds over into the real estate market where we have high ah. interest rates, mm. right? We have high interest rates, uh, inventory is an all time low. Uh, God, I mean, the average home in the United States is now over a half a million dollars. And given what we've been taught by the boomer generation that you need to have a jet ski and a Lexus and a 401k, whatever, in ground swimming pool, we've, we've kind of like housing's turned into multi-generational, multi-family, except uh, with the with a few exceptions of people in these uh, higher echelons of of um, of uh, you know employment. So first of all, I, I wanted to um, just for anybody who's not a homeowner, because unfortunately there's a real hard time right now trying to do that if you if you're just starting out, but. The, uh, the concept of inventory is basically how many homes are being listed for sale. It's not the, the existing stock of houses, right? You're just talking about what is being put on the market. What's available to buy. Yeah, and, and there's a reason for that, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's quite simple, actually. The, the, the zero interest rate effectively policy of the last uh, 10, 15 years created a massive, arguably second housing bubble that was actually getting crazy during COVID. And because of COVID, they dropped interest rates to really, really, like it might've been record lows. I mean, it was almost zero. And it created a, a huge buying upswell, like the opposite of what's going on now, and selling too, because the prices were going up and people wanted to cash in. And people were eager to buy because they were able to either like refinance it or you know get a good rate uh, and then it, the interest rates had a huge impact but when the interest rates have been going up for the past year plus which they just paused by the way um, and they didn't call it a pause they called it a skip <laughs> if you're into like fed language or fed speak parsing uh, people are interpreting that as they're leaving the potential for raising in july to be technical, a pause is more like they're going to plateau with no intent to raise later. But I think the only reason they did that is they're trying to uh, set expectations for um, the market not to anticipate inflation. And so it gets convoluted into how monetary policy works. But in any case, interest rates have gone up a lot and they're way above where they were in COVID. So the simple explanation, is, which I've probably made more complicated than necessary, but I like to give some details, is that the houses that people bought during COVID, at least that chunk, a lot of them, there were a lot of uh, purchases. Or if people had not bought it during COVID, they refinanced. They effectively have very low rates not that long ago. People don't want to sell now because if they do, they're going to have to then get a loan, usually, to get another home at a much higher rate. So I don't, I forget what they call Double. it. but it, Yeah, it's it's horrible. Like the, your, your your monthly payment is like, double right and it's yes that's a crushing amount and um that's the residential market and, first and of all and so that's the, the nobody's wanting to sell not come down partly because there's no sellers but it, it, they have nationally i think cooled down dropped maybe about 10 percent um but that varies where you are and it's nowhere near 
offsetting the run-up they saw um, during COVID and the, the pre- previous year or two before that. So we're, we're way above um, trend, I, I guess you could say. And I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, so I don't want to necessarily compare it to the valuation levels of the 2008 bubble. I'm going to say that was still worse, but it was getting close to that I think at least in terms of the the buzz you know on the street just emotionally speaking it seemed it seemed to be getting close um, and then it's cooled off a lot but what I, I thought you'd be an interesting commentator on not necessarily because you have any personal experience with it um, but at least you you and I have talked about real estate but because it's I think the potentially the next shooter drop so to speak and something to look out for maybe at this point, most people that I sort of follow are kind of tired of talking about this because it's sort of a, a dead talking point for the financial world circles. But commercial real estate is being cited as one of the huge risk factors going forward, at least for the economy, because two things. One, the nature of commercial real estate loans are different than the residential home loans that most Americans get. Most American residential home loans are actually, compared to the entire world, we're actually very lucky in many ways because we have uh, an extremely easy uh, incentive and and structure to the, the, the loan to get a mortgage compared to the rest of the world because we have a 30-year fixed rate. I don't think that exists mm-hmm. almost anywhere else in the world. Which stems from the Great Depression, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, and I don't know if it's a Fannie Freddie thing or if it's some other department, but it, it's, it, it's unheard of. I mean, you go to Europe and you know, the longest you can get is probably a 10 year. Well, it's even worse for commercial. It's five year. And then the, the other word I said fixed, it's typically floating. And then you have this, they call it a balloon payment at the end where you have to have, um, <laughs> the whole loan paid off at the end of the five years. So what's been going on the past year plus, well, banks have been failing for various reasons. But what's even worse is that a lot of these small banks are the most exposed to commercial loans compared to any other bank. Most of the big banks, they they have mostly residential loans, but the the smaller banks, they call them the regionals, the the KRE, it's one of the indices, indices, stock market indices that tracks it. That thing has been shellacked and it started to come up recently because people are like, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's cooling off and it's fine. But there's sort of a, a looming threat on the horizon when these payments come due for a lot of these loans because they're only five years. And if you started 2020, uh, it's coming up, you know, 2025, it's not that far away, uh, where you're gonna have to pay back the whole loan and then refinance at a horribly high interest rate. And that's going to cripple a, a normal business. But to make it even worse, COVID created, people are goofy because I always thought work from home made a lot of sense. But it, it sort of reinforced the cultural paradigm of having people not go to the office all the time or at all. And so all this office space that used to be, that's what one of the big sectors of commercial real estate, it's not the only, but office is one of the, the most beaten down right now for the financing problem and the, the floating and rolling, you know, five-year thing that's going to hit them soon. And then the fact that all their customers aren't coming back. So we have vacancy rates right now in some places uh, like New York, San Francisco of 20 to 30%, which is unheard 50. of. 50%. Depend, depending on the type of building. But it's, yep. um, 
class A, like the best ones, I, it's, it's, I think it's a lot better, but, um, you know, where, where are you seeing that 50 number? What's that from? So this is from castle.com. Um, occupancy suppress, uh, surpasses 50% for the first time since March. Where? Office occupancy broke 50% for the first time since early March, rising to 2.7 points to 50, 50.3%, according to Castle 10 City. So, so the, the vacancy is, is, you know, 100 minus that. So it's like a little yeah. um, under 50. So it's almost 50. But, it's, um, but where, where is this and what type of building? Uh, this is for commercial. It doesn't necessarily say uh, what. Well, it's not nationwide. Um, that's that's. I can't believe that. But if, if you're talking about a particular city, or if you're talking about like a type of building, you know, like um, old offices, for example, I've heard that those are pretty bad right now. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like we're we're talking about the the loans, but no one's discussing the leases, right? A lot of these leases that were signed, let's say 2019, instead of right. five, eight, yeah. ten year lease. Those leases are also coming due. So if once those leases are 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 due, um, who is going to fill these yep. um, these in these type of um, these uh, yeah. units? Yeah, a lot say. of a lot of tenants uh, are just like, here are the keys, we're we're, we're done. You know, we're so, done. Yep. Then, now keep in mind that the bulk of property taxes are from uh, from commercial, from you know businesses. So in a sense, really? what my fear I didn't is, know that. is that. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent, man. Absolutely. In, oh, in, in urban New York centers, City, property or taxes, nothing. Nation, nationwide. I can believe that in a place like New York, but I have a hard time well, believing New, that New York, everywhere. New York City, uh, okay. you know, uh, a residential home in New York City, uh, whether it's a condo, condo or a townhome, whatever, um, you're not paying that much in property tax at all, at all, compared to the suburbs of hmm. like New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut. Like it's not even. You can't even. You can't even compare. It, it varies right, so. so much. Like I remember um, people I know in Texas would tell me about how the um, uh, property taxes are really high, but I think they, they sort of get it back. I don't think they have an income tax. And so it, it's all, it's all a mess and how you. It, it's relative. I mean, again, for I'm speaking this. for the yeah. tri-state region. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of like where well, that's kind of my wheelhouse. I can't really say what it's like in texas or mm-hmm. south carolina or, sure. or wherever else in the u.s i'm 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 strictly no but talk about new york because it's it's one of the the sort of hardest hit places i think uh the west coast is probably worse but you know new york um i think you were telling me the other day it's uh it's changed a lot well you know so again the if if your commercial sector is taking a hit as far as leases go and you're not able to fill uh like um, brick and mortar downtowns where you have a restaurant or, you know, whatever. It doesn't necessarily matter. Like an insurance fucking, you know, like an old state or a state farm, you know, leasing up, you know, a brick and mortar spot. He's paying the, uh, a large portion of the of the taxes for that lo- locality. Now, if you're not able to lease or pay, uh, you know, get it leased up and you're not able to pay the property tax, what eventually, again, my fear is it's going to get dumped onto uh, residential uh, on the on, on residential and they're already bled dry. Um, so if you start tapping into into that, into that where, again, you know, single family home has to make up the difference for your downtown taking a huge hit with uh, vacancies. 
Um, again, disposal income is going to take a hit. You, you know, you, you name it. That's that's more or less what I what my fear is coming down the pike. Where again, uh, residential housing is going to have to make up the difference, or or you know, God forbid, the government you know decides to fucking lay off people, or <laughs> it's like what, that's kind of a pipe dream. Well, it's going to be interesting. I mean, to be honest, I do believe that these things correct themselves over time. Uh, I've said this at least once before on our show. Um, you know, the, the cure for high prices is high prices. Now, uh, I think right. Elizabeth Warren needs to study that one a few hundred thousand times to understand how economics basic, you know, supply and demand works, but it's for anybody who's slightly smarter than her. Um, it's not that hard to understand. It's basically like, look, uh, what are businesses doing here? They're trying to make money and a free market system encourages them to actually make the product that is expensive. So when you have a higher supply and you can't sell it eventually, well, the only way you attract customers is you lower your price. And that, that actually solves the problem right there. But, yeah, know, but the question just, is, okay, so let's say you have a, let's say you have and, a, and the opposite is true because typically if you have low prices, bargain hunters show up and then things stabilize. So go ahead, please. Well, what I was going to say is that how many, uh, you know, uh, beer, craft beer joints can one locality handle? It's not necessarily, it's, 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 again, it's service. Well, it's a service it, sector. Whatever people actually want to pay for. And I think, right. you know, if there's too many, then they need to shut down. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, I, I, I bemoan the loss of heavy industry in particular in the United States, because yeah. I think it's sort of a strategic asset, but I'll be honest with you. I think there is something of value to the fact that if the, if the company is losing money, it probably needs to restructure or go out of business. And it's not to say that you don't have any, you know, trade tariffs to sort of keep uh, strategic industries at home. But if you're losing money, that's money that is going into the hole and never coming back. And if you've got a profitable business, you could take that money and invest it in another business. And you, that's how you grow your wealth. You know, if you're losing money, you destroy wealth. And so I think it, it's pretty straightforward, but, um, you know, honestly, like you can't keep industries alive that can't make themselves competitive. It's just, it's just not good in the long run. That's what the Soviet Union tried to do, and look what happened to them. It just doesn't work. Right, but you, you're talking up a little about the industrial side of things. I think there's been read read uh, recently the news about a lot of paper mills now filing for bankruptcy or moving to other locations in the United States or just being outsourced to other nations. I think a lot of it has to do with outsourcing. I mean, industry, if you don't have an industrial base for yep. your society, I, again, I don't really see what, what is it? White girl pixie dust. Like I'm, I'm going, I mean, I'm, I don't want to get uh, too, too emotional about this, right. but you know, it's like, okay, so you shut down the industrial base. That was maybe again, there was probably those guys had pensions. They had families. Well, what, whatever. Okay. Now what you're going to open a, a, a gay bar in replace of the industrial sector. Are you going to repurpose that, that, that commercial building well, for, for what? Uh, look, mixed uh, use uh, condominiums you're, or you're, affordable housing. You're bringing up good examples, but to, to make it even worse and scarier and based on actually what's happened, after your literal industrial base has been bombed, what happens? Well, those countries take Vietnam, take uh, 
Russia after you know the, the bomb of communism went off. Um, what did these countries have? They had their young women, and you know they sell them into sexual slavery. I mean, it, it's horrendous, yep. but it's like that's unfortunately well, we now. one of those universal currencies that it still exists as long as you have some people around. But um, you know the, the Soviets, well, the Russians are even worse. But like they they had such a culture of abortion. I mean, they their population isn't even that big. So it's um, it's scary, man. But I, I I agree with you. I think you do need to have a a good foundation economically, but I do think that the, the fundamental principle of competition is healthy because, you know, watch any nature video. I mean, nature's, nature's tough. Uh, you're not going to go out on the Savannah and expect, uh, you know, the, the lion to, to give you a pass for the day. If, if you're looking, if you're looking weak, it's going to take you down. Right. So the solution is you either, you get tough, you get strong, you get faster, you grow some horns or you get eaten and then your genes don't, don't reproduce. And then you're, you know, the other guy who is a little bit stronger than you survives. I mean, it's, it's just the way nature works. And well, I, I, I wrote a, a piece on the American sun and I alluded to the fact that I, I feel like the whole COVID lockdown coupled with the uh, St. Floyd uh, uprising. I don't even really. It was a riot. Um, uh, most people would call it. Um, it was an absolute attack on um, again uh, small businesses. Right. You know now you're indirectly. I don't think that was the the intent, but it 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 that was one of the symptoms of it. It certainly accelerated the problem, and it has not. Yeah. You know, it has not helped to say the least. You yeah. have. Obviously, a lot of um, the decriminalization of, you know, petty theft where, yes. you know, certain individuals going to Target and Walmart looting the store. Not, the workers at Walmart and Target don't have a, a stake. Uh, for, for you know, they're not even therapy. allowed to uh, to ask employees to do that anymore in California to right. actually enforce the, uh, the, the store's property rights. Exactly. So, where what, what does Walmart and Target have to say about this? You know, they, they well, just board what, up. What are they doing? They're leaving. <laughs> they're leaving. Correct. Yeah. So leaving. again, again, if they leave, so there you go. Food desert. Well, you know. Right. So what causes that? <laughs> right. So they leave, and that huge uh, development now is not paying again, not paying property tax. So what do people now do? They will maybe people are afraid to go shopping. Right, because they don't want to conf- you know, get into a confrontation, or some lunatic walks in with a fucking gun, you know, mows down a cashier, and some some Joe Schmo just trying to fucking buy baby formula or fucking get his taquitos. Mm-hmm. So people are now going to e-commerce, which has exploded um, since COVID, and what suffers is again brick and mortar uh, commercial commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. Now your your co-host discusses. Your 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 co-host has uh, talked about it on the show, so I don't think it's it's anything um, private. But he has like a, a retail operation. Am I am I wrong about that? Yes. Oh, so he does. Okay. So has he commented at all on this phenomenon of uh, brick and mortar versus online? Uh, not necessarily, because of what he sells uh, and his location. It doesn't. He doesn't. It wouldn't necessarily affect them. It's not okay. like he's in Portland. Um, you know, selling uh, hardware, yeah, <laughs> tools and, and, and lumber. 
Um, He's not so selling bricks have... next to the Antifa bar. <laughs> <laughs> Provided by Berkshire Hathaway, by the way. Oh, God. Which is also interesting to say the least. Uh, yeah, I heard that rumor. Kinda, I, it's I, been a I while wonder, since I, I read up on the that. topic, but I, yeah. I when I wrote the um, the uh, article on the L.A. riots, uh, it, it, uh, there was a lot of echoing of of what happened during the L.A. riots that the um, a lot of the small mom-and-pop um retailers felt that the rights was a huge way of uh, like a, it was just a huge insurance scheme to just uh, clean out commercial property and, and yeah. make a killing on the on the claims because I've, a lot I've of those businesses were, were suffering in the first place right yeah i think i think that's uh given how many times people have cited that as happening in their particular location. I mean, this was um, arguably what, uh, I forget what they call it, redlining, and then sort of like trying to get rid of redlining to sort of desegregate the um, the, the housing market uh, to basically, and this is where the term blockbusting came from. I mean, Not originally, I think it was, a, um, it was a World War II term that mm-hmm. denoted a type of bomb that was like large enough to destroy a city block. But they took that, I think, in the 50s and 60s to apply it to this like racial blockbusting where you would allow, let's say, discriminated against historically minorities to move in. And then it's like, well, there's a movie called Look Who's Coming to Dinner, I think, about this. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what happens? Well, all the uh, non-discriminated against groups are like, I don't want to live around them. So they leave. And so what happens, the property values plummet. Bargain hunters move in. They buy up all the property. Then they you know, build slums or something and they raise the rent and that's how they, that's how they take over. Um, I, I think that's the thing. Yeah. I, I don't know how much of it for all of COVID or, you know, with the offices, for example, we'll see, but, uh, maybe the cities will turn around. Maybe this is just one giant blockbusting thing. I don't know. But with BLM, you could argue that that's maybe what was going on. Maybe it was well, just a look, way to... Look at that. What, what, if I have to fear another BLM protest at the same time you're cucking the police, why would I want to invest no, in this you downtown? No, stupid. Right, yeah. exactly. No, no way. I mean, so, no, so no then shareholders going to be brings up the whole other topic. Right. Well, this brings up the whole other topic that I've... I've dived into and, and realize it's kind of like a, a pipe dream. Oh, we'll convert the commercial property to residential. Well, you'd have to undo a lot of codes and zoning laws, which are, are you know. Are I, I talked. I talked to a guy who's in a position to know that about that stuff, and and I, I don't know. I think he might be a, a little hyperbolic, but I think there's some truth also to what he's saying. And that he said that now nah, they're, they're just going to have to blow those buildings up because he. The reality is, you, and he, he's not wrong about this. The way commercial office buildings in particular are, are constructed is they, they have centralized bathrooms. And so there's not enough drain pipes to, to put into like different little apartments. And I'm like, well, couldn't you just like, you know, get a router and like, you know, cut through the, 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 the floors. But it'd just be a pain in the butt. So it's probably just easier to just blow it up and, and rebuild it from scratch. Um, you know, building crews are pretty efficient on, you know, just going from plans. But renovations take a long time. So he might be right. Um, well, the, the 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 thing is, regarding that, um, I don't. At least again, I'm speaking from from where I'm located. There there are so many like codes involved in converting commercial to mm. residential. I just don't see that necessarily happen. Retrofitting yeah. buildings, yeah. Um, you know, but the partition walls. 
gutting, renovating, the amount of money that would have to be sink into it? And will there necessarily be a profit? I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to house all these uh, <laughs> newly uh, minted immigrants that are flooding over the border to live there? I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's again, oh. I think it's somewhat of a pipe dream. God. And the other yeah. factor into all this is the whole climate change agenda, the Green New Deal. I think most people have heard that. Um, that term, uh, especially your mm. listeners, but they're they're basically uh, adding we haven't, we haven't a talked new about it too much, but I'm sure they're aware of it. Yeah, right. I so mean, it's a whole new yeah. layer of bureaucracy on top of uh, landlords and and mm. and uh, on landlords where they have to now. I think what's the new one that any new development in New York's in New York State has uh, has to be. Uh, electrified, can't use gas stoves anymore. Yeah, they're they doing can... that in California too. Right. So again, you can look at New York City and California as a bit of a weather vane on what's coming in your direction, and uh, you know it's going to be quite hard for uh, smaller regions to kind of push back on a lot of these these policies. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's um, it's true. It's kind of a mess. Um... They're getting rid of oil. You can't use uh, you know for uh, oil to heat your homes anymore that's coming down the pike before 2030 they, they want to get rid of oil so. but it ain't happening no no freaking way the thermodynamically impossible if you want to oh, not I'm, not, I'm, not I'm, freeze I'm to death you, but yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening you, you, you've said this before uh, uh we're talking about california how okay they have these grand ambitions uh for again you know to uh, environmentally friendly uh carbon free emission uh homes and businesses and transportation etc et they roll these policies out and then they scale it back where you neither get what you wanted out of this whole carbon free a green new deal uh, climate change agenda and you basically screw over middle class people and the poor for that matter and that's what you're somewhat getting now with a lot of these these climate change policies uh for uh landlords i mean again landlords are already strapped for cash they're they're you've you've um put a lot of these policies in place where the uh the tenant has more rights than the landlord well um, take take the no eviction stuff that happened during covid for a lot of uh localities i mean it doesn't take a genius to sort of uh, anticipate just like with the no police thing. Like if you don't have any recourse against uh, a breach of contract, people are going to abuse you. So that's what happened to a lot of these, uh, not just like the big ones, but the small landlords are even more screwed because the, they don't have the banks that can, you know, keep them tied them over until the laws are changed. But a lot of these, uh, you know, no eviction laws during COVID tenants just stop paying. You know, and then like, well, does the, does the tiny little, you know, two unit duplex owner, what is he going to do? Like, like Donald Trump, like stroll into like, you know, Deutsche Bank and renegotiate his loan. No, they're going to repossess the thing, Uh, you know, and then he's out of, out of a business and you know, he, his costs don't, don't change, but his revenue certainly did. So I don't know. I don't understand how people, um, support the well, i guess i do it's just they're they're, they're selfish and short-sighted but it's um it's scary man and, and rent control you know has been a thing in in the big uh big cities for a long time i don't know if chicago does it but i know um new york does and a lot of west coast cities do um but you know that 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 creates a whole you know we're talking you know supply and demand it, it 
it disincentivizes investment. And then you get one of these tenants in there who's been there for 20 years, you know, and they're paying like okay. 50, 60. Yeah, New York, and then they're, the, they're New York is legendary to, uh, for that, right? Re- also, um, a little bit uh, a little bit of a factoid is that their relatives are, are allowed to inherit that That's that even more crazy. You know, and so then yeah. it's like a family that moved there in Bed-Stuy or whatever they call it, you know, in like 19, <laughs> they're they're paying yeah. $20 a month. I mean, it's like, it's insane. Like, this is why, you know, it's like an episode of The Sopranos or something where you know, they, they bring in a, a crew to like burn the building down because you, you, there's no other way of like, you know, surviving. I mean, it, it's crazy. Now, now, mind you that the landlord can't necessarily renovate that apartment. So if they have a leak or if they have, a, you know, some type of problem uh, within their 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 dwelling, um, they, the landlord is obligated to fix it. Well, he doesn't have the money to fix it because of, again, these climate change policies, because that tenant is paying way below market rate. So what, what happens then is then the government starts to crack down on them saying, you have to pay this, you have to do that. Well, I'm already bleeding. I'm already hemorrhaging money because they're not paying market rate. And you're putting all these policies in place that I need to put an electric stove inside that apartment. I can't afford that electric stove. And, you, you know, you're, you're checking like the, the pressure and the gas lines that have not been, you know, that are as old as the building. And then here comes another violation on top of another violation. So what do a lot of these landlords do? Well, they look for greener pastures. They start moving to red states and, you know, rinse and repeat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the future of um, of the American city is going to look like? I mean, you'll own nothing and be happy. Oh God! <laughs> I, look, I, I'm going to be uh, blunt with you. Um, I've discussed this ad nauseum on my show. Yeah. A lot of these, yeah. these, a lot of these um, talking points I've known about for well over ten years. When I first started reading PDF files and books on smart growth policy climate change and how it impacts real estate i used to show it to so many people and they would just scoff at it thinking this is a joke this Mm -hmm. is communism can't happen won't happen well here it is right Uh, and covid is kind of like the kind of like the the um the accelerant to push a lot of these policies forward because the general populace never really pushed back on any of it because they were afraid of right. uh, you know <laughs> afraid of uh, an imaginary I don't want to say an imaginary virus but they're afraid of something that they couldn't even see well they're they're afraid of what they're told to be afraid of I mean it's uh, it's sad but it's true um, most people don't don't really think too hard um, and so if other people think for them at least they they think that they're thinking for them. And if they don't think that much to begin with, I guess they're not going to be able to discern if they're not thinking for them on their behalf. Right. So sorry if that made no sense, but it made sense to me, but (laughs) yeah, like uh, this goes back and the, even before COVID before dissident people were talking about it. um, Even like liberals were talking about this stuff. remember agenda 21. There's a, there's a lady who passed away. Her name was a Rosa Quare. She was like, central casting you know crunchy hippie type uh i think she was like hanging out in berkeley or something and she was like noticing all these like weird zoning rules that were popping up and she kind of started investigating it and she's like yeah, yeah on the surface of it i, I guess i 
I can understand maybe the intent of this. Like it's about like, you know, inclusion or whatever nonsense doublespeak they're using. But she started looking into it and it's like, look, this is basically a way to centralize power, stop people from having property, their own land, uh, and encouraging the centralization of communities and discouraging things like you know the hippies were kind of into it's just like kind of just living on a farm and you know not bugging anybody and just leave us alone and and all these rules and regulations start involving the government in every little decision i mean the sort of like crazy example from colorado was like you're you're not allowed to uh, collect rainwater on your property um so like i'll give an example like a friend of mine wants to have an in-ground swimming pool and you get taxed more for having an in-ground swimming pool than an above-ground swimming pool. And he he realized it's an additional $300 a month just to have an in-ground swimming pool. Like what – he's like, what kind of what, what kind of society do we live in where I'm getting taxed for something that I enjoy in my own – on my own personal property? Why would I right. – why do I have to be punished for, for this? Like I worked hard on having an in-ground yeah. swimming pool. Why would I – be disincentivized to have an in-ground swimming pool yeah. coming out again, three hundred dollars a month. That's a lot of money. Sure. Not on, on top of installing it, maintaining it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it's um, it's a thing. I think bureaucracies, uh, you know, just like any organization or organism, almost they they like to grow, and if you don't ever have any alternatives, what's going to stop them? Um, so again, I, I believe in competition because it's the only thing that keeps corporations accountable. I mean, look, some people may characterize me as like some kind of like a capitalist Uber Alice, and I don't see it that way. I'm just sort of, I think a realist and that any large organization has incentives to grow bigger and also stamp out its competition unfairly. Same for governments, same for corporations. It's just a nature of scale and human nature and greed and uh, envy and all that stuff rolled in. And so I, I just think that whenever you, you give these, these guys an inch, you know, they're going to take a mile and I don't know what the solution is. I mean, I, I'm very sympathetic to the, the blockchain community because uh, the crypto sphere, because it, it really is, I think an alternative that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I don't think I'm being a kook in saying that. I mean, you can listen to a lot of people brighter than me that, that articulate the the reasons for it. I, I've cited Michael Saylor. Some people think he's a snake oil salesman. I would say, you know, don't mortgage your house and buy Bitcoin. But I will say the concept <laughs> of it makes a lot of sense because it is one of those things that actually nobody can truly control unless you're, you're God. I mean, it's, it's that hard because you have to have so much computing infrastructure and electrical infrastructure to, to, to do it, you'd, you'd have to be, you know, the, the federal government or, or nobody. And so that's probably why federal governments don't like it because it's competition to them. But I've never seen anything that really is actually managed to, to encapsulate the concepts of the libertarians, especially, but also people who are just like disaffected with the fact that they don't have a voice in their government. And, you know, with this whole like talk of the digital, um, central bank digital currency, the CBDC, mm -hmm. that is a scary concept because it, it really is like, you know, the, the, uh, the Chinese social credit score, 
they can turn you off. It is is basically the, uh, at its core, a central bank digital currency, unlike the dollar that you have in your wallet, is something they can turn off and on at will. So if you don't follow whatever their arbitrary rules are, you know, you, you, you collected some rainwater by accident because you left a, a Dixie cup on your deck out in Colorado, <laughs> they can close your bank account. You know, obviously I'm being a little hyperbolic, but you get the idea. It's like, yeah, absolutely. whatever they want to enforce, they can enforce, right? So well, why give them story that power? about someone uh, using, I guess, the Amazon security system. I forgot what it's called, but um, using Alexa, mm. something, something to do with Alexa. And mm-hmm. He apparently said something to the Amazon driver, and it was recorded by a security <laughs> camera, and they turned off every all like all of the security features inside his house because it was so heavily reliant on Amazon. Unreal. That was in, in the news recently. I don't know if you saw that. Or no, not. no, I remember. I remember the Alexa you know, dollhouse that was ordered by some like five-year-old that like asked her mom for a dollhouse and Amazon shipped it to them without <laughs> make, making actual like purchase order. But uh, I, yeah, I mean like these stories, like I don't know how many more people need to hear to uh, wake up to the fact that this stuff is very dangerous, but um, yeah, just, just, you know, keep, keep, uh, keep a critical mind going and uh, you know, uh, have a little bit of a, open mind to also having alternatives to the status quo. Not, not that our audience really needs to be told that, but um, I just think that's, that's a good example of it. And to bring it full circle and to sort of wrap it up in a bow, um, I don't have anything specific to to say, but how would you like to conclude Lamprey? Um, Let's remind people where they can find you. Where do you think the world is going and where can people find out more about your world worldview? Uh, well, you guys, again, MGTOW Chats, um, uh, you guys can find me on YouTube. Uh, again, I have some pretty awesome guests on, such as Adam, and uh, you guys can also check out the American Sun. I'm a big advocate for the American Sun. I think there's some great minds pumping out content. Um, I don't It may be like oh, some article once or twice a week. Uh, it used to be more frequent, but again – you know, a lot of things have been said and done, and rehashing old topics, uh, old talking points. Uh, but it's still a great um, blog for everyone to check out. As far as uh, where the world is going, uh, browner, gayer, and poorer. That's what I think of which way the world is going. And I don't see any type of like uh, uh, crisis, um, probably maybe another virus, another lockdown in another five or seven years. Who knows? The future is unwritten. And at the end of the day, you just got to focus on yourself and make the best of it because, look, for the most part, we're all alive. Our bellies are full. Um, we got our creature comfort still. And uh, there's always someone out there worse off than you. So always keep that in the back of your True. mind, you know. Not And don't necessarily dwell on, on a lot of negative topics. Just get out there. Try to meet like-minded people. Hey, listen, you know, there's there's as far as the women situation is concerned – Look, look. Obviously, it's uh, it's kind of bleak. I'm kind of black pilled when it comes to the female question, but there's 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 always someone out there for, for everyone. Uh, no, I know, think I think maybe. I think it's it's harder, but it's not impossible. And you know, Correct. we, we Correct. both of us have uh, had our encounters with uh, the difficulties, but I think uh, we've also had some success, and so it's not impossible. And I think if you adopt uh, a a possible mindset, a positive mindset. 
you're going to do a lot better than if you have a negative uh, mindset. It doesn't mean that it's fair. It doesn't mean that it's good, but you don't have a choice. Like really, I mean, you put it in those terms, well, like th- and, that's the only thing you can do. And, and to build upon that, I think a lot of guys, especially with people like the, the you know, Andrew Tate's of the world and such, don't necessarily worry about what that individual is going to, what that woman is going to think of you. Think about if that person's compatible with you. Think if like, is this person a good fit for mm-hmm. me? Not the other way around. I think that's also a of course. a uh, a mindset that I've adopted uh, more recently, and it's it's benefited uh, benefited me for the most part versus worrying so much about what the other may think. Stays up late. Stay up late. I want a girl with uninterrupted problems. 